Good morning. So I do have the pleasure and the honor to introduce our guest speaker, which is my dad. And uh, he's an amazing man. He really is. And uh, if you just read his resume or the things he's done in his life, you kind of miss the essence of who he really is and the man of God and the hero he is to me. Um, he was an All-American football player at the University of Tennessee Tech, um, where he gave his life to the Lord. Soon after, he answered the call to full-time uh, missions, campus ministry. And during that time, he preached, evangelized, and taught in over 130 campuses around the United States and around the world. His travels and ministry also took him to preaching and ministering in over 37 different nations around the world. Um, one of the major milestones of his career was when, in 1999, he moved the whole family to Auckland, New Zealand to begin Every Nation South Pacific. And uh, through the next 15 years, started, planted, and oversaw 11 different church plants and mission works in New Zealand, Australia, Fiji, and Samoa. Just absolutely incredible. And impacted and shared the gospel with thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people in the South Pacific. He has a bachelor's in education, a master's of theology, and uh, he's working on his second master's at the moment, which will be done very soon, and then hopefully a PhD. Um, he just wrote his first book, which will come out later this month, called Engaging the Culture, which is going to be fantastic. Um, but all this aside, all his ministry, his career, all that aside, it doesn't really tell the true story of who Ken Do is and who, who, what he means to me. And uh, my dad, I can truly stand here and say he's a man of integrity, and he's a man after God's own heart. And he's a man who will give up whatever, give up the comforts of America, give up the comforts of, a, of security, and will go to the ends of the earth for the name of Jesus. And he's been an unbelievable example to me. In ministry, he's always put myself, my mom, and my three sisters above ministry. We've never felt like second fiddle. We've never felt like we have to wait or we have to, he's got to take care of ministry and then we come second. We've always been his number one disciples. Um, even more personally, as a son, he's always demonstrated to me what it means to not necessarily be flashy and trendy and emotional, but to be steadfast, consistent, a good father, a good husband, a good brother. He's shown me literally what to do in every situation. He's been there for me. He's been a rock in my life, and I can say I would not be any, any of the man I was today without him. Dad, I'm, I'm real proud of you. I'm, I'm proud to be your son. I, I love you. <clears throat> wow. How do you follow that? Anyway, trying to fight back tears. We have four wonderful children. Not only do you know Ben, we have my daughter here, uh, Rebecca. She just finished her PhD in Australia. Rebecca, would you stand, please? She, yes, she did play basketball at University of Hawaii and then on for New Zealand. And I have two other daughters, uh, Abigail Dew. She's full-time campus ministry with Every Nation. And Rachel Dew, who's at Oral Roberts University, finishing her uh, master's degree. And really, the love of my life, besides the Lord, is my beautiful and amazing wife, Renee Dew. Would you stand up, Renee? Give her a good hand, would you please? <clears throat> It is so good to be here with you. It's been a long time since I've been in Houston to preach. 
Years ago, I preached uh, a long time ago. Scott and Cindy will remember. We're we're dear friends, Scott and Cindy uh, Fiddler, for a long time ago. We would come and preach. And off this campus and out of the city came some really world changers that are in our ministry and others who've gone to other ministries. And so there's a powerful legacy here in Houston. Amen. And I want you to know, you're sitting in a wonderful church. I'm just so blessed by the great job Pastor Chris Pate and his, and his lovely wife and the team have done. And so, so great to see Pastor Eric again after Tennessee. He was, he's, uh, was at Tennessee State University and reminded me of that. And I thought, wow, this is great. Great things are happening here in Houston. I was on a plane not too long ago and reading about Houston and the city proper. And after the Astros had won the World Series, anybody, any Houston uh, fans in here, Astro fans, all right. They were talking about the demographics of the people. And they said they have found, social scientists have found that in Houston, they surveyed and found that one out of every three people in Houston were considered extremely good looking. So here's what I would like for you to do is a little litmus test. To look to your right. And look to your left and say, I'm the one. (laughs) Anyway, we might start a brawl, family feud here. I don't know. Anyway, just so glad to be here with you and uh, delighted to to be with Pastor Chris and the team. I want to talk to you about knowing the truth. You've been doing a series about I'd like to believe but. I'd like to believe in God, but what about this? And what about evolution? And what about all the other religions? And what about all the pain and suffering that we, we encounter in life? Is there really a loving God if all these buts are true? But one of the other buts that you're going to face is the but of how do I know Christianity is the right religion? How do I know that this Bible is inerrant and infallible? How can I know for real that Jesus Christ was not just a historical figure, but he was a man in time and space that came and he ruptured this continuum. And from that point, all of humanity was not only changed, but something called the truth entered into an earth that was shattered with deceit and lies and propaganda and darkness, and all of a sudden, a great light illumined something you and I call the truth. Let's talk about that. If you would, turn in your Bibles. It's going to be on the overhead. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14. It's on the overhead for you. The prophet is writing to a backslidden people who had a covenant with God, Israel. They were about to be assailed by, by the Assyrians who were warlike people who were going to take him captive. And here he writes in verse 14 of Isaiah 59, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Because truth has stumbled in the streets. One translation says, Truth truth has lost its way. And uprightness cannot enter in. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. See, not only has truth been assaulted and dismantled and buried in our culture, 
But anyone who pretends to know the truth or asserts they have the truth, you are proclaimed a bigot or evil or all kind of names. You see? And so it's amazing that we live in a culture that loves this nebulous, relative, we don't really know the truth. Why do, why do we like that? Why do we, do, we live in a postmodern, post politically correct culture that if you assert to have the truth, somehow you're a bigot or, or you're, you're afraid of something or you're not really representing everyone else and you shouldn't say it. Survey by Barna recently, the Barna Research Group, they said that they surveyed millennials and young people they call Generation Z, which is supposed to be the last generation. Hope it's not prophetic, Scott. But they said this is the last generation, and these are the people under 18. And here's what they said. They said the people under 18 in America say that if I believe something sincerely enough, it's true. It's true. Now, I wish that were a statement of reality, don't you? Because I would say, I've got $10 million in my bank, and I want to be real sincere about this, and, and then check online, and there it is. How many know that is not a statement of reality, no matter how sincere you are? Can I tell, can I tell you what? Sincerity, and if you're under 18, I don't want to offend you, but I'm going to. Uh, that is, that's rubbish. It's nonsense. It violates everything that has to do with law. You can believe you are Spider-Man, but you will not be able to climb up this wall and, and leap to another building. You can believe you're on a plane going to Fiji, but you're really going up to Dallas. And all the sincerity that you can muster will not change the destination of that plane. Amen. That's life. That's life. You can look online and you can pretend to be. In fact, we have a whole culture with all the digital distractions. We have a whole culture that says, I can, I can have my virtual reality. I can change what my reality is and become something else. People who do that, we call that delusion. We see people who, who live other lives or they're schizophrenic and they have counterfeit encounters with what they call reality, but it's not reality. Like on Facebook, you see people on Facebook. Have you ever met somebody, a friend on Facebook? You see them on Facebook, they're, you friended them for a couple of months, and then you meet them in real life? It's scary. I'm walking along and, ooh, you know, that's, what, you know, you go back and unfriend them, you know. What happened? You, they had that glamour shot on there, you know, and they had all the makeup. And I'm not one of those preachers that preach against makeup. If you need it, God bless you, wear it. But the point is, the point is that, that they're not real. That's a cyber friend. That's not a real friend. You see? And we live in a culture that says, well, if I'm sincere, then that makes it true. Well, if that were the case, the Nazis who were very sincere, we should have never intervened with stopping them from murdering Jews. They were very sincere. Guess what? They were sincerely wrong, and they were sincerely immortal. Or, excuse me, immoral. So sincerity does not qualify or justify having our own truth. Truth is lacking. It's stumbled in the streets. So it is in America. This prophetic dictate is so true for us. And what we need to do as the church, the Bible says, we are, we are meant to be the clarion voice of truth, the pillars of truth. If we're meant to be the pillars of truth, guess what? There's such a thing as the truth. And if there is a truth, we have got to apprehend it and comprehend it and know it and proclaim it. Somebody say amen. That's what the church's job is, not just to be nice. 
not just to smile and, and, and have nice coffee and Cinnabons. I thank God for all that. But there's something about the truth that you and I, we have to be dispensers of. But before you can dispense it, you've got to embrace it. It's, it's got to be a part of you. Mm. I've, I've just preached myself happy here. Let's keep going here. Next slide. I love this quote by George Orwell, 1984. He said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Hello. You want to make somebody mad? Stand up on a university campus or stand up some, somewhere and say, Christianity is the only true religion in the world. You will have more people screaming bloody murder and calling you all kind of names. Why? Because you have stated an objective, exclusive truth. Ladies and gentlemen, truth by its very definition is exclusive. I have a question for you. Two times two equals, it's not a trick question, two times two equals right. Can I tell you what? You may love six, but six is not the right answer. The right answer excludes every other number in existence. There's only one truth, two times two equals four. You may not like it. You may rail against it. You may scream against mathematics and, and this concept. Nonetheless, it is true. You may not like gravity. You may try to define gravity or defy gravity, but gravity is a universal, absolute truth, and it works in New Zealand. It works in Australia. It works in Houston, Texas. Everywhere you go, gravity works. And you can jump off a building and think somehow you can fly and you're sincere, you're a superhero, but sweetheart, you're going to be a greasy spot on the sidewalk. Why? Because gravity works everywhere, all the time, every time. It's an absolute truth. There are truths that govern our life. There are truths that if we don't live under the jurisprudence or the governance of those truths, those laws, we will not make it in life. I remember one time I was lecturing Scott at Auckland University, and a guy came in and we were talking about intelligent design and, and special creation and why the universe looks designed and there has to be a designer, a creator, there has to be a God. And he was looking at me and he said, well, I only think things are, are true because I think they're true. But if I don't think they're true, then they're not true. That's a philo philosophical uh, concept known as, as idealism. If I think it's true in my head, then it's true. So I looked at it. He's one of these guys that, you know, uh, he, he, he was a certifiable geek or nerd. or you know, So, you know, we call them geek and nerds when they're in university. Then later on we call them boss and sir, you know. And so he was one of those guys. And, and he was sitting there, had these big six glasses that looked like he had knocked the bottom out of a Coke bottle and put him in his lenses and he's talking to me and I just said if that's true is this truck coming along here right now down the thoroughfare is it true if it is is it real he goes because uh, I think it's real I said well close your eyes and walk out there and let's see what happens now I was just kidding with him and he looked at me and kind of corrected his glasses and says I'm terminating this conversation and walked away See, here's why. You cannot violate God's truth and live in God's world. You just can't do it. You can't do it. Yet we have a culture that loves this relativistic thing. Why? Because it doesn't, I'm not responsible anymore. There's a the guy named, named uh, Aldous Huxley. 
1963, he was, he was on a TV show. And they asked him, why is it the 20th century man wants to believe in the theory of evolution without empirical evidence from the fossil record? Here's what he said. A very astute atheist and a scientist, he said, the reason we don't want to believe in a God is that we don't want a God interfering with our sexual mores. In other words, if there's a God, I can't do what I want with my body. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the crux of the matter. Our whole culture wants to be excused rationally, excused morally from anybody telling me what to do. Kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? When the, the Satan, in the form of a state, snake, came and began to say, he says, did God really say, oh, God's holding out on you. He knows the moment you eat of this fruit, you will become like God, knowing good and evil and being your own boss. And that was the fall of mankind. And we all labor under that. Who's, who, is, who is my boss? Is there, is there real truth? Can I know that truth? We can reject it and we can, we can claim that we don't know it. Like in John, when, when John chapter, don't turn there, but John chapter 18, when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, he said, I'm a king, and, and Pontius Pilate said, look, I'm going to turn you over, and they're going to crucify you. And he says, well, I am a king. And, and Pontius Pilate said, well, well, why don't your angels come? He said, if, if my kingdom was of this realm, they would come. And he said, so you are a king. He says, yeah, you have rightly said. And then he said, for this reason, Jesus said, I have come to testify of the truth. Jesus' whole existence on, in, on the planet, ladies and gentlemen, the reason he was incarnated was not so we can have an Easter service or not so we can have a Christmas service on December the 25th. He came one particular reason solely to bear witness of the truth. I am king of the universe, creator, and Pilate, the only reason you're going to hand me over is because I've given you permission to. And what did Pilate do? He did what any good relativist would do. What any good atheist or agnostic would do, he, he feigned ignorance of reality. What is truth? What's true? Oh, I don't know. Christianity's true. I could be true, but what about the Muslims? What about this? Have you ever talked to people and they, they're so, they're, they give you all these, these counter truths that vying for the truth? I remember one guy told me, he said, what about, what about the pygmies in Africa? If they've never heard the name of Jesus, I said, well, first of all, the pygmies are not in Africa. They're in South America. And I said, if you're so worried about the pygmies, why don't you get saved and let's go. We'll get them. You see, the whole point is it's an excuse. Like, I don't know truth, therefore, I'm excused from having to live under the truth. Somehow we think if I believe that it doesn't exist, that I don't have it. And I, it, it doesn't exist. The more... We run from the truth. The more a culture shifts and drifts from the truth, the more we'll hate those who speak it. Next slide. Let's go past that. We, we've already... Alan Bloom, I will quote this. Go back one second. Alan Bloom said this. He said, he, he wrote the closing of the American mind. He said, almost every student entering a university believes or say they believe that everything is relative. Everything is relative. In other words, there is no truth. It just depends on who you are. It's subjective, you see. Next slide. When we talk about truth, when we talk about relativism, relativism implies that the pursuit of any truth is an exercise in futility. 
the university that my daughter went to, University of Queensland, they have over the administrative building and, and natural science building of all places, the truth is great and mighty above all things. In other words, here's a university, and all universities believe in something called truth, yet we have a culture that says you can't know the truth, or truth, truth is a social construct, and it's changing. So truth, relativists, they have a self-contradicting position. It's self-contradicting. One time I was at Hawaii, University of Hawaii speaking, and I began talking about laws and morals, and one guy stood up and said, there are no moral absolutes. Now, that sounds like, a, like a, a deal breaker, but the problem is he was refuting himself because he's making a truth statement. Yet his statement says there are no truths. If there are no, if there are no more absolutes, is that one? There are no absolute truths. Well, you just stated one. So it's self-contradicting. You see, the point with God's reality is when people say these things about truth not existing, they are self contradicting and self-refuting. It's like people who say, I can't speak a word of English. What's wrong with that statement? You just did. You just spoke it. You see? And so all of a sudden, it becomes a self-contradicting statement. And so that's where this, this culture has gone. The next one is, put, uh, hit the next slide, please. It's self-accepting. In other words, they think Everything is relative out there morally except what I think is absolute. Talk to any relativist, talk to any, any atheist or agnostic, and see if their relativism applies to their banking. When they go to the bank and say, here's my check for $5,000, and you put it in there and say, please deposit $5,000 in my account, they say, well, that's $5,000 to you, but to me, it's $2,000. Wait a minute, I thought you said everything's relative. Yeah, everything morally is relative, but not my banking. Don't touch my bank. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? God has made certain things absolute. They're true no matter where you're at, no matter what culture you live in. Can I tell you, it's wrong to rape women in every culture. That's an absolute statement. It's wrong. It doesn't change. It's not okay. Well, what if she dresses scantily? That makes no difference. It's still wrong. It's wrong to... to to torture small children. Well, what if my kids bother me? You still can't go torture them, you know? <laughs> you know, you can't do that. And by the way, I love children. I got four of them. We had four children in five years, didn't we, honey? They just showed up and started consuming our food and everything, you know? And I was looking at the baby dedication, Pastor Chris, and I thought, my God, I remember when Ben was that age. Those days are long gone, that size. It just happens. So, so we know those, it, racism is wrong in every culture, in every society. Why? Because God has so made certain things in the universe that they're true no matter what you think, no matter what your perspective is. Somebody say amen. Next slide. The first level of discerning truth is that has to do with the level, has to do with establishing the inescapable undeniability of truth and the possibility of the knowledge of that truth. In other words, not only does truth exist, we can actually know it's real and know it's true. Now, what is truth? Let's answer Pilate's question. Truth is when what I think matches objective reality. Okay? The other day, Pastor Chris texted me and said, we'll meet at such and such a place for breakfast at 9.30. Guess what? I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to drive to this place. We drive there. There we met Pastor Chris and his lovely wife. 
Casey, and we had a wonderful breakfast together. When I got out, I thought, ah, truth. But nobody else was thinking truth. Why? Because what I was thinking matched objective reality, you see? And when we, when we walk in truth, what we think here matches what really is true objectively, you see? And there are some objectifiable things that we can know as Christians. We can know historically that Jesus Christ lived and died. That he, he by secular historians from uh, Flavius Josephus to on down through history, they testified that this thing called Christianity spread throughout the whole Roman Empire when it should have been, it should have died out. But they say, no, it happened. And here today we have 2.4 billion people believing in Jesus Christ because of the historicity and the validity of the truth that Jesus, the man incarnate, died. And they couldn't find his body. We sang about it three days later in the tomb. Wow. Next slide, please. So when we look at truth and we think about truth, First John, or excuse me, John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was realized in Jesus. What did Jesus say? I've come to testify of the truth. Grace and truth is realized in Jesus. How many know the law is good? How many know the law is good? We've got an attorney sitting on the front row, so you better raise your hand. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, have you, ever got, have you ever been driving on the motorway or the freeway, and you're driving, and all of a sudden these beautiful Christmas lights come on in your rearview mirror? Anybody here? And they pull you over, and he guys, the police officer says, look, you've been, you were speeding. We have, you, we have you going 20 miles over. You say, well, uh, I, I don't think, I don't believe in speed limits. In fact, I don't believe in speed limit signs. And uh, I'm sincere about that, officer. Can I tell you, that doesn't change the law, does it? I wish it did. But it doesn't. It doesn't change the law. It is there in black and white. And because there's an enforcer of the law, it's commensurate that a penalty be levied for a violation of the law. So it is in civil law, so it will be in God's economy as well. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment through grace and truth. Why? Because we couldn't fulfill the law in our carnal flesh. Why? We're sinners. We're fallen by nature. You see, have anybody who tells you that people are basically good, they have never had children. And you'll hear that at universities. In fact, right here at University of Houston, I was speaking about 20 years ago on the campus, preaching out there. And a professor came out there, uh, Eric, and she began to accost me and said, what are you saying that, that people are sinners and they need to repent? She says, people are basically good. And everybody hushed. And we got about two or 300 people out on the campus, and that's when it's really fun. And I said, I have a, one question to ask you, professor. I said, do you lecture here? She goes, Yes. I said, did you drive your car here to the university? She said, yes. I said, did you by any chance lock your automobile? She goes, yes. I said, do you live here in Houston? She goes, yes. I said, did you lock your home or did you leave it open when you came to work? She goes, well, I locked it and I live in a gated community. I said, oh, so you have a guard too. I said, if anything proves the fallenness of humanity, it's your actions in this basically good culture. And she went, oh, you Christians make me mad, and walked away, you know. <laughs> Why? Because reality doesn't match what she's saying. You don't have to teach the, you know, these beautiful little kids that are up here, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Have you figured that out? They just know how to bite and scratch and steal and lie. They know. They know intuitively. 
No parents says, no, we're going to church, honey. And I want you to fight for your right to party in that nursery. And I want you to bite and scratch and go get them, honey, and represent the family name. No, no one teaches their kid to do that. They just do it. I remember one time we were in L- L.A. and I was preaching, and the nursery worker came, and Becca, my little my Becca, little Becca, she was she was 18 months old. And they came and got me and said, "We would you take your child?" I said, "What?" And she goes, "She's biting all the kids in the nursery, <laughs> biting all the children." Now we didn't teach her that at home, you know, bite these kids, you know, particularly if they're not spirit filled, bite them and chew on them, you know. We didn't tell her any of that. She just did it. And I, I was so embarrassed. I said, well, I guess she takes after her mom. I don't know. You know, it was just problems, you know. Forgive me, honey. <laughs> you don't have to teach people that. It's in them. It's in them. Why? We lock our doors. We, we, put, we put safety stuff on our, our home, on our, on our Facebook, on our phone. We have locks on our security. Why? Because we know people are not basically good. They're given the chance. They'll do what's in their heart. Jesus, through grace and truth, helps us to do what we know is right and what we should do. Next slide, please. John 14, 6, Jesus said this. He said, that I am the way. Single definite article for you English majors. The truth and the life. No one comes to God except through me. That's a pretty exclusive claim, is it not? Can I tell you what? All the other world religions are as equally exclusive as Christianity is. But we make it plain. You cannot be a Muslim unless you do certain things. You certainly can't be a Buddhist unless you do certain things. And you cannot be a scientific naturalist or an atheist unless you believe that nothing supernatural is real. They have very strict, exclusive claims that fit very nicely into their worldview and their philosophy. So Christianity is just like everything else, but they can't all be true because they all say different things about ultimate reality and how to get to God. So either they're all false or one of them is true, but they can't all be true. So I'm sorry, we can't just be tolerant of falsehood. We can't be tolerant of people who, who say, well, look, I don't want to offend people. Can I tell you what? Truth is offensive. Did you know that? How many people ever looked in the mirror in the morning? And you get a, It's offensive, isn't it? It's very, you know, I looked in the mirror this morning, you know, the mirror talks to you. You know what it said to me? It said, get help quick. <laughs> it get help quick. I remember one time I told the first group, I, I remember one time growing up in South Carolina, my mother used to always tell me, she said, you know, uh, uh, you got to eat all your food because people are starving in China. So I, I would eat, eat all my food and everything. I remember I got a little heavy in New Zealand. I'd, I'd stopped fasting and working out. And this is when truth really hurts. I got out of the shower, and I looked in the big full-length mirror with a towel on. And it was scary. And I looked at it, and I'd gotten big. And I thought, oh, God, this ain't helping nobody in China. I, 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 got, I, I got to lose weight. This is bad. You know, truth hurts. Truth is offensive. If fire marshal came in here and said, all this whole building is engulfed with flames, this way is the only way to safety, you would not debate him. Say, well, I like this exit. I want to go out here. He, wouldn't say, he would say, knucklehead, follow me. We should be saying, thank God, there is one way. There is an exit. That we could all be in flames. We should be all in flames. So there doesn't have to be multiple truths. There's got to be one truth. And Jesus said, I'm the embodiment of that truth. 
And I've come to testify of it. And he didn't make mention of Buddha or Muhammad or any of our self-help programs. He said, unless you believe this way, come out this exit, you will perish. Hard truth, but nonetheless true. And we as Christians have got to stop apologizing for the truth. If you're a medical doctor in here and a, a patient came to you, you're a dermatologist, let's say, a patient came to you and said, I'm going on vacation with my family, going to Hawaii, I'll be there for a month, I'm going to have a great time. And the, the dermatologist looks and he finds a melanoma on your back, knowing that if this thing metastasizes and gets into your lymph system, you could die within six weeks or six months. But he says, you know what? He told me he was going on vacation. I don't want to really ruin his vacation. I don't want to really rain on his parade. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tell him about it. And he lets him go. But what would every good physician do? They would say, wait a minute, you're not going anywhere. I hate to break your plans, but you will die if we don't cut this thing out and stop it from getting into your system. What's the loving thing to do? The loving thing to do is tell people the truth. An atheist, pen and teller, comedians, he said this, and he, it was so true. I wish a Christian had said it, but an atheist said it. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that eternal life is possible but not tell them about it. You've got to be a cruel doctor to say, you're going to die, but I'm not going to tell you about it. You know why? Because I just don't want you to live. I don't want to upset you. I don't want you to think less of me. I want you to think I'm a nice person. 70% of Christians in America believe that Christianity is an exclusive, extreme religion. These are Christians. You're right. It is exclusive. It is extreme, but it's still true. You say, well, you're kind of closed-minded. Well, you can be closed-minded when you're right. You really can. Now, the culture doesn't like to hear that, but it's still true. Amen. Next slide, please. We're going to close up here. Proverbs 3.3 3 says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. In other words, we are supposed to be bathing in the truth. We're supposed to be imbued and devouring the truth, not just it's out there and hopefully I'll know it. No, we're supposed to emulate it. It, must, it should be exuding from our pores. Why? Because we're reading this Bible. Next slide. Truth is noble. 1 Timothy 2, 3, 4, and 4 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to what? A knowledge of the truth. You cannot come to salvation without coming to a knowledge there is such a thing as salvation and that you're lost and that people are in desperate need of eternity. Next slide, please. Truth is evidence of God's nature and creation. You can't escape it. Romans 1.18 says this, for the, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who what? Suppress the truth. People want to suppress the truth. Don't look at it. I don't want to hear about it. Don't talk about it. Let's just say it doesn't exist. What is truth anyway? Maybe if I play dumb, I'll be excused from having to be accountable. What is truth? For that which is known about God is evident within them. It's in you. For God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Therefore, you are without excuse. You see, I love the Bible, don't you? The Bible is that mirror. You know, I, I love the Bible because, you know, people, it's still the best-selling book in history. Did you know that? This year, last year, better than Oprah. Oh, yeah. 
Not even close, ladies and gentlemen. Can I tell you what? This Bible is the truth. It is the, the exhaustive composite of Jesus, the fall, the sin, the resurrection, redemption. It's here. And when I get to travel a good bit, and if I'm on Southwest Airlines, you know how that is. You just get, for the, you get the seat that's open. Sometimes I'll just take the Bible. You know why people don't read the Bible? Because the Bible reads them. I'll just put the Bible right there in the seat. Exodus 20, Ten Commandments. Just leave it there. And people say, is that seat? Ooh, you know, let's keep what is, what is it about this little book? What is it? It, it, it shines a light. It says, I'm real. This thing's true. You can pretend it ain't. You can be sincere in your ignorance and hope that something's wrong, but it's still true. That's why Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness, but it's evident within them. You know what the truth is? On the day of judgment, no one's going to say, Jesus, no one shared with me the scripture, John 3, 16. He's going to say, you had the Bible inside of you. you it's, it's a thing called the conscience. It bears witness of the truth. That's why people in Africa know it's wrong to murder. I mean, I was talking to him at University of Florida one time, and, and he said, I don't believe in God, and he was a Jewish kid. I don't believe in God, and I, I just believe, you know, you just try and be a good person, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let me, let me read you the Ten Commandments. I just started reading the Ten Commandments. I said, do you have a moral code? He goes, yes. And I started reading it. He goes, oh, it's amazing. The Bible agrees with me. I said, I think it's the other way around. I think you agree with the Bible. Why? Because God's put it on your heart. And people try to, through, through their seared consciousness, to push down the truth, hold down the truth. It is in you, sweetheart. It's in you. Next slide. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Number four. Truth, when embraced, will set you and I free. The truth can be scary. It can be quite revealing. But can I tell you something else? It's quite liberating when you know the truth. Because it tells you what needs to change. Just like that mirror we talked about. It tells you what needs to transpire, you see. You can run from it. You can say, I don't want to believe in it. Maybe, maybe if I just forget about it, it will go away. No, it's going to be there. It will set you free. Galatians 4.16 says, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? If you really love somebody, you'll tell them the truth, won't you? You'll do it in a nice way, in an appropriate way, but you'll tell them the truth. John 3 one through four, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are walking in the truth. Wow. It's not just to know the truth and pray to Jesus. I'm walking in the truth. It's a part of my life. It's a part of the way in which I live my life and demonstrate my Christianity. I love it when people come to me and say, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? I don't have a big cross on my neck. I don't have a big Bible big enough to choke a Southern Baptist or anything like that. I just, they say, I, I notice you're a Christian. You prayed over your food, didn't you? Yeah. And where I'm eating at, you got to pray over the food, you know. <laughs> There's a reason. Why, but yeah, you're a Christian. Why? Because they see it. There's a way in which we walk in. That's why the Bible says that in Acts chapter 9, it says they persecuted the way. It wasn't just a concept or a belief or a philosophy. It was a way. They lived it. They lived the truth. I have no greater joy that you walk in the truth than John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Ladies and gentlemen, before it makes you free, it will make you miserable. But we don't like the truth, but it's the best thing we can have.
You've got a lap full of it right there. Get off, get off your, your computer. Get off Facebook. Get off your smartphone. Delve into the truth and let it reflect the way God wants you to be, the way God wants you to live. Because the author and the finisher of all of eternity and all of reality has said, I've come to bear witness of what is true. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your truth, God. Lord, it's not just someone's opinion. It's not just a nice little philosophy. We can God, word is your truth. And so today, God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would be a people that not just acknowledge the truth, but Lord, we let the truth have its work in us. We let the truth permeate what needs to change. Your heads are down. Your eyes are closed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Ken, there are things I'm doing right now that I know the Bible speaks against. I need to change. The mirror tells me there's something wrong with my reflection. I don't need to change the mirror. I don't need to break the mirror. I need to change the reflection that's in that mirror. You need to repent of something. There's something you're doing. There's something you're looking at on YouTube. There's something you're involved in. You know that this reflection is a violation of what God wants you to do. The truth is, repent, change. That's you right now with your heads down, your eyes are closed. You need to repent of something. The truth of God's word has broken through. You're tired of suppressing the truth. And you say, I'm going to repent, and I want to get things right. I want to walk under the light of God's truth. If that's you, and you're ready to pray, I want you to raise your hand up high. Say, that's me, Pastor. Raise your hand up high. Yes, yes, raise it up high. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. You can put it down. Lord, I pray for these people who've raised their hands, that, Lord, whatever they're doing, whatever they're involved in, they would come to the truth. Lord, you said we'd know the truth and it would make us free. Lord, I pronounce freedom over these people in Jesus' name as they repent from darkness, they repent from deception and delusion, and ask your truth to be a part of them. Second prayer, if you're here today and you don't know that Jesus Christ is the absolute Lord and master of your life, you may believe in Jesus. You may have even attended church. You may have even been a part of, of a ministry of some sort, but you're not living for Jesus. Today, you want to repent and make Jesus Lord of your life. I'm going to pray with you right now. You want to come back to God or you want to come to God for the first time? I'm going to pray with you. Pray this from your heart. Say, Jesus, I come back to you. I ask you to forgive me for my independence, my rebellion, for thinking I could be my own God. Lord, the truth is I need you. I can't do what's right because I need your mercy and your grace. And Father, truth is revealed in your son, Jesus. So I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to serve him for the rest of my life. I don't want to play church anymore. I don't want to play religion anymore. I want to be a real Christian. And Lord, come into my life now. Forgive me. Thank you for loving me enough to bring the truth to light so I could see it. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name. With your heads down, your eyes closed, if you prayed that second prayer to get right with God and come back to God or make Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to raise your hand. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, I thank you that you would seal this word in our hearts. Let us be people who love and walk and live in your truth. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.